Welcome back to FinTalk, brought to you by Vermin. Here we discuss pressing topics in fintech, regtech, covering regulatory, collateral, and digital across banking and insurance and finance. Vermic has been proud to deliver innovative software solutions in the industry with stability and cost efficiency for a global roster of clients. With over 20 years of trusted transformation in finance and insurance, we're bringing industry's top expertise to FinTalk. I'm Gerald Actor, and I'll be your host for this podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to the FinTalk podcast. Today, I'm delighted to have um, James Phillips back with me. James, is always a delight and always a pleasure to speak to you. I'll pass over to you to introduce you to uh, to our listeners. That's very kind, Jawad. I'm pleased to be a delight and a pleasure. Try and do what I can. <laughs> um, for those of you who don't know me, I am regulatory strategy advisor for Vermeg. This really means I'm looking at all the things that are incoming and likely to impact our, our clients and partners and interested parties. And from time to time, as Jawad has said, I've made a contribution to this podcast to uh, have a look at what's happening and what's likely to be happening and impacting our firms and partners in this area. So, yeah, that's me. Thanks, James. Last time we spoke was was a while back now, uh, and that's kind of the start yeah. of the year. We spoke about what had happened in last year. We're kind of six months into 2022. I'm quite keen to understand. I know you've been you've got your ear to the ground, just to kind of understand what kind of themes you're seeing kind of coming through 2022 and kind of going into 2023. So I'd like to kind of hear about, uh, I know what I what we're hearing in, in the industry, but it'd be quite interesting to see what you've got to say and, and the kind of key points that you you have to address. Uh, I think it's what well, I'm going to compare and contrast a little bit to where we left off last mm. time before directly answering your question, if I may, because I, when we did last speak, it was mostly reprising what had been important at the end of last year, in fact, mm. which was yeah. uh, the, the, around the conference that we did at that time. Um, the main feature points there being principally the PRA's DSCEO letter, uh, pursuing the reliability of regulatory reporting, the Bank of England's introduction of the BEADS XBRL transmission mechanism, uh, the introduction of the IFPR regime for investment firms, and with digital being a bit on the horizon. And of course, it was still not entirely, but, you know, the COVID slumber, if we look at the extent to which uh, over that period of time, perhaps proactive work was diminished by uh, by COVID, but also it was very much a consultative period. And I'll go on and compare and contrast that now. And it's just a sense that I have that since then, to your point, over the last, well, especially the last two or three months, I'm seeing an awful lot of things starting to come together. Regulations that have been in consultation or sandboxes that have been worked on by regulators, cooperative, collaborative effort beginning to result in discussion papers and outputs that are going to make traction in some of the things I'm going to point out a bit later in this podcast that I feel are important to speak about becoming fairly real. So you're looking at things moving faster than they were and you know not entirely because of COVID, because of circumstances as the consultation had to move through through to I think we're looking at a phase of execution, right? So things becoming printed into law, whether that's ESG, crypto, and all the other things we're talking about. But also things seeing the light of day around more more realistic opportunities to go digital. So, you know, we have our agile system, which is obviously fully available, but a lot of other reg tech solutions have also become entirely business capable, and you're starting to see things happening through cooperation as well there. Only the day, actually, I, I put together this just, you know, cost, compliance, and convenience advantages of updated processing in in the digital and cloud environment rather than sticking with a mixture of of, of a client server environment half cloud half the other you know i think firms are beginning to think in the round as to whether or not there's a holistic solution to doing compliance better 
through this mix, as I say, of accelerated printing of regulations rather than being consultative, outputs from sandbox, better cons- collaboration across the industry, availability of red text with credentials now. And I think I used this image when I spoke with you about this before when we were chatting earlier, you know, of, of, of lots of conveyor belts suddenly starting to move and all moving in the same direction, right? Rather than the factories sort of stacking up the goods, they're starting to come off the end. And it makes it really quite exciting and challenging for firms operating in that area. So it's, it's really interesting times now. And that, that's what I'm thinking is, is happening over the next few months. It'll obviously take into 2023, but, you know, it's, it's really the action in 2022 is to get on board with all of these changes. Yeah, exactly. And I think the conveyor belt analogy is a bit like the game show in the old days. Where <laughs> you had uh, all those funky toys kind of walking, going along the conveyor belt and trying to pick up and uh, remember as much as you can, right? The cuddly toy was at the end. You get to win the one that gives you best cost compliance and convenience advantage, to use my uh, <laughs> three Cs. Just made that one up. Yeah, it's um, it, it, there's a lot, right? I know it feels like it's there's a lot going on. I, I, I know you. I know we've spoken aside, but are there any points that are kind of key drivers that that you've you've picked up on? I know you've done a done a few things uh, for us. Well, we did a couple of blogs. Well, the one done one in the frame and others in in the pipe, and also, of course, we've been considering exactly those key issues so that you know we're, we're talking to the industry about the things that they want to hear, and I've I've broken it down all the time in in my thinking about how things are changing into six areas i'll mention them in these are not any particular order of what i think is important or otherwise they're just things that i that i have there we're going, i'm going to talk to you about digitization and and, and and where regtech is to begin with since that's just about where i left off earlier in the intro about how i think things are moving into traction there now uh, you've got to pick up the questions around where are we going with crypto where are we going with the sg because they're hot issues at the moment and you know obviously do they or don't they impact and where do they well obviously they do impact but how do they impact and look as well as to the matter of UK divergence, which is very much a talking point now and more so. I'll explain in a minute. We're going to talk about the strong and simple regime. And it's always important to see how firms are getting on with DSEO, the big theme that we left off with at the end of last year about the reliability of regulatory reporting. So if you will give me a few minutes to run through each of those. Of course. Chuck me some questions if you want, if I'm not covering what you think are, are, are relevant, John. But those are the things that I have put my thinking into in terms of the buckets that they should live in. Obviously, there's more than that. You know, I haven't mentioned AI. You know, I haven't mentioned other things, but they're, they're sort of subsets of all of those. So around digitization, moving to the cloud, however you describe it, moving, if you will, from the the old methods, uh, traditional methods, which have been in place for, for, for decades, moving to a new to be. I think firms are in a better position to start to think positively about what they could achieve of moving chunks of their compliance activities, of course, many other activities, but we here are in the framework of compliance, right, in the subset regulatory reporting within that, it, uh, off, off from their older systems and into a, a cloud environment, whether that's on or off-prem or uh, as a service, however it may be. And to to do that around, for example, our solution, Agile Reporter, we're seeing actions occurring there, um, but at the same time, we're also seeing a lot more, as I mentioned in the intro, collaboration across, uh, for example, those works stimulated by regulators, supervisors. There's an AI regulator, I did mention AI, regulation sandbox in Spanish authorities I saw the other day. In the UK, the FCA has just finished off its second digital sandbox on ESG. More to be done there. It was lacking synthetic data, so there needs to be a follow-through. But, you know, the actions are occurring, and I think these things are bringing to life much more. Uh, even at the government level, you've got the Digital Regulation Cooperation Forum I came across the other day, which is the CMA Competition Markets Authority, the ICO Information Commission's Officer, uh, Office uh, Ofcom, 
and of course the FCA. We have in Europe the Digital Operation Operational Resilience in Financial Services Regulation, actually regulating that if you're going to go digital, it's got to not fall over. So, you know, you're looking at getting towards very much a business-enabled environment. And to come back to my three Cs, I really do think firms are now looking at the cost, compliance and convenience advantages of doing so in a managed and strategic way rather than just uh, you know, buying one ad hoc uh, solution here and there. You also get, of course, the, you know, again, talking about Agile, the diff- uh, our solution, the differences in terms of advantages around in a, being in a cloud, distributed processing, embracing work from home as a fact, you know, workflow and so on, so much better enhanced in that way. And so you're going to talk about crypto and ESG in a moment. There are other advantages, of course, going into the cloud as well. You haven't got to move data around. You can just touch it, yeah, because it lives elsewhere. So if you've got reference data, for example, if you want to talk about things like um, ESG ratings, then you don't want to download that. You just would rather go and get what you need and bring back the relevant things. So lookups done in the cloud via APIs are far more efficient than shifting things around. So there's a ton of strategic advantages to going digital. Yeah, I think that whole kind of digital drive has been accelerated massively, uh, especially during during the uh, during the pandemic. And obviously, we've heard about it from our guests on the other on the earlier podcasts. Um, just kind of moving everything more smarter in the way we do things now, and there's a less kind of resistance. We're seeing. I mean, even at the back office, you know, the back office, back office processing, the old, old style data processing systems move to the more cloud based subsystems. It's pretty let alone the little pointy systems that we're describing around reporting or AML or, or, or ratings-based information. So the actual core processing systems moving to the cloud is a, is a big thing too. Yeah, exactly. And, and, the, and the conversations are ever so increasing. So, you know, there are more conversations around that as we're going through the year. Um, crypto, let's, let's talk about crypto. Crypto and ESG. Um, these, I, I sort of put these not, they're not at all in the same bucket, but you'll be surprised there are remarkable overlaps, not the least of which mm. is, as I'll go on and explain, how green is your crypto? So there's a, <laughs> there's a how green is my valley? Um, in Europe, we have the markets in crypto assets agreed just lately, last couple of weeks at the, at the trialogue level since a couple of three years in the kitchen. So this is now to do with regulating crypto asset issuers and service providers. And you end up with a, the principle will be once it's in the official journal, harmonized EU market around everything that has been otherwise done locally or as a spin-off from AML or counter-terrorist financing rules. To the only things that really apply to crypto to this date, regulatory certainty, improved customer protection, prevention of fraud, all these kind of things starting to go within, within uh, a, a ring fence. Plus, strengthen financial stability and hopefully less in the way of unplanned, vastly unexpected uh, volatility issues. But that's not quite the nature of the game, given the crypto assets, you're always going to get that, but within the framework of it being regulated. Other things, of course, in Europe is that the proof of work ban, which was spoken about at some time in and out as the regulations were being negotiated. Specifically, what does that mean? That's off the table. This means that things like Bitcoin, which are very energy intensive, and the proof of work mechanism, which is the consensus mechanism for the DLT blockchain that runs Bitcoin is pretty energy intensive. It's tens and thousands of times more intensive than other methods of showing how the, the, the blockchain has been validated, the consensus mechanism. There are plenty of others. So things like uh, Ethereum, for example, moving to a proof of stake will reduce its uh, environmental footprint quite substantially. But in the short term, the likes of a total ban have not been implemented in, we're not going to be implemented into, into Mika, the European regulation. And what we, what we do have is a requirement for crypto asset service providers to show the sustainability credentials for whatever the DLT consensus mechanism is against the emerging European sustainability taxonomy, which 
is of course where ESG is coming from. So there is an overlap, right? So this is obviously giving a market drive to being a green race, if you will, for greener uh, crypto assets. And naturally, I'm quite sure market forces will push it that way. But the regulation doesn't stop things as they stand. Image comes to mind again. I was talking about conveyor belts earlier on. I have seen some criticism, actually, of Mika as being a, a return to the Red Flag Act, being a reference to back in steam train eras, you had to have somebody walking in front of the train carrying a red, red flag for safety purposes, the result being it slowed everything down to a walking pace. You know, so it's not quite that bad. The plan is as long as I think things stick to the sustainability taxonomy, then the intention is to provide a regulated environment for crypto assets first of its kind. UK is a little bit behind on that, but is still moving. There is a lot of consultation going with a launch of the intention to make sure that UK is a crypto hub. US and Asia are similarly moving with speed. And if I may point it out to the listeners, I did do a blog on crypto assets. And there's, you'll find that on the Insights section of the Vermeg website. Do please go and have a look at that and we'll keep that maintained. And also, Jawad, you did a podcast with Barnabas Reynolds from Sherman and Sterling. Yeah, that's yeah. episode six, was it? Yeah. Yeah, six. And... Um it was really interesting because we talked about, uh, we, we kind of discussed crypto. Uh, crypto is, is here to stay, right? Uh, whether we like it or not, it, it is here to stay. And, yeah. and the movement from the from the HMT, the government and everything like that, and all the papers that are going out, especially uh, around the Basel Committee, it's very much here to stay, but it's how we regulate it. I think there seems to be a proactive approach about how we go about doing this. So it's a really interesting kind of interesting pieces that are going, going coming on in the market. But I think, I know we're talking about crypto, but I, I have a strong belief around the traditional assets that we, we kind of maintain in the market and how they move to digital form. <laughs> to say nothing of digital central bank currencies versus cash, because it's ultimately just a electronic version of it's cash still under, underwritten exactly. by the, the central bank. I mean, to our listeners, just to be sure, obviously the reason we're following this as Fermec is it's important to understand the emergence of this a class of uh, a financial asset. It's going to reflect itself in both the asset base and ultimately liquidity base of a firm and thus become a, a, a pillar one issue in my humble opinion in due course. Yeah. Uh, obviously it's a disclosure issue as well and it attracts uh, a capital charge against those assets right now whilst they're unregulated and unbenchmark it's all pretty high in you know, 100% across the board but this is going to become an important part of it. Yeah, in related to that, so BIS uh, it was taking, I think uh, was allowing, was looking to allow up to 1% of reserves to be held in in Bitcoin or equivalent crypto assets just recently. So, yeah, it's, it's getting recognition. It's not going to go away, as you said, John. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So, on the same basis, the impact of ESG on our clients and on clients reporting, regulatory reporting. Obviously, there's a ton out there on ESG. There is just a whirlwind of information and a plethora of vendors offering you everything from check your postcode for flood risk to perhaps the, you know, the, the green credentials of the uh, firm to whom you're lending uh, or how you're going to do something about ensuring that the uh, ratings that you're getting are not in any way subject to greenwashing. So you have to have the likes of ESG data and ratings providers coming into a regulatory perimeter, and that's very much a part of current consultation, as per credit ratings agencies used to be, yeah, so they're drawn in. There's recent feedback from the FCA on the point I mentioned earlier, actually, around the capital charges associated with uh, new instrument types or the effect of risk. So ESG integration into capital markets is being consulted on at the moment. Will they find their way into Pillar 1 or will they just stay as disclosures in Pillar 3? We have to wait and see. But, you know, it's a, it's a lot of moving parts still and a lot of issues around data quality. So, for example, one of the key things around, you know, accessing and using ESG data in a meaningful way is if you can't get the information that's being asked for in the taxonomy, 
to give it a proper score if if you're looking to rate your lendings as it were or rate your counterparty as a bank then you've got to use a proxy uh, what's the nearest equivalent so if you're lending to a building that doesn't have you know like your washing machine's got a green rating on the side of it hmm. the only thing you can use is its age you know and it's recognized that these use of proxies is is a bit of a blunt instrument so there's an awful lot of improvement to be made as the quality and availability of that data begins to emerge in the industry so some many years to come i don't doubt it's not going to be months watch this space action prompt um haven't done it yet but i will be doing an esg blog or vimeg will be doing an esg blog myself as one of the, one of the SMEs. i hope to get that out within the next three to four weeks whether it be published then or it's in the pipeline so do please keep an eye out for it. listeners i would appreciate that yeah, we'll 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 send it out to to everyone as as we normally do. ESG, obviously, there's loads there's loads going on, and I think that's as we go through the process, there's going to be a, a have a lot of evolving. Yeah. I, I want to move on to UK divergence. <laughs> well, in recent days, there's been a few other divergences, haven't there, at the political <laughs> level? <laughs> so you know, when we're recording this, guys. Um, House of Commons Treasury Committee as a example of one such shuffle that may or may not be impacted, looking at the potential for the return of regulatory arbitrage, if you will, post-Brexit. So I think everybody knew this was going to happen at some point, but it's actually getting some airtime. Seeking competitiveness, if you will, but within the framework of it being not taken so far as to reduce the safety of the financial system. So is there wiggle room for the matter of UK PLC competitiveness, not to ever become a primary objective, you wouldn't make that the sole reason that financial regulation, the reason for financial regulation is to maintain, amongst many, to maintain a, um, a stable financial system. But you should certainly make it a standout secondary objective. That's the, that's the, that's the intention of, that, uh, of, of the current drive from the Treasury. If you look at what, you know, for example, right now, the, 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 the FCA, for instance, has a competition objective, but it's primarily around ensuring that there is competition within the UK. But if you announce that to say, what about actually making an objective to say competition UK international, as the PRA are being proposed to have, it does make it really quite interesting. So, yeah, I think that's perhaps what we can say on that. We will touch on it later in the year. I'll say later in this podcast where we're going to touch on it. Uh, strong and simple, mustn't forget that, is, of course, an important regulation as well that's coming through to mitigate the complexity problem. This is my next point I wanted to bring out, again, without reducing resilience, right? So the point is, is that, you know, there are obviously many firms that are currently probably having a hit another image came to mind you know if you're a ballet dancer you don't want to be forced to wear steel-toed boots which are really quite unnecessary right just think of that right you can dance much better and still perfectly well in your sh- in your correct shoes slam it sledgehammer to crack nuts there's plenty of analogies so if you if you look at this the intention is to uh, identify a threshold below which or a complexity framework out with of which would enable the firm to be taken out of scope of the main regulation and put into scope of the strong and simple. And on the current framework, it looks like a large chunk of building societies, for example, who have you know, mainly sterling and non-trading retail mainly portfolios and a few banks, not many, will fall into the framework as it's currently being described. So that's good to give uh, those firms less of an issue about spending money and time on things that are probably over the top. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, with the strong and simple, there's obviously there was the initial consultation that went out um, we're expecting a couple more. Hopefully, I expect one before the summer. It's an interesting, it's a really interesting um, approach. I think it's. I'm quite interested to see how this, uh, how the, how the uh, consultation progresses. I know we've spoken to quite a few building societies and like that. You remind me, Joe. There's a, there is actually an EU similarity. There's something called mm. small and non-complex banks. Yeah. 
carve out. I'm not sure of its status from CRRT, but the intention was the same. Yeah, exactly. I think it, it, this is definitely watch, watch this space. Well, firms are going to find themselves, and it, it, it won't just reflect itself, obviously, in reporting. It's really around governance as well. It's the whole thing. What do you have to do? So, yeah. Yeah, well, hopefully the idea is to re- remove the burden, right? Yeah, That's, yeah, totally, uh, totally. Take your steel toe boots off. You don't need to wear them anymore. <laughs> so we've done digitization, crypto, ESG, UK version, strong, simple. That's five. And the sixth item I want to pull out was the dear CEO. How are you getting on? I mean, I think it's important to note that that was launched in September for the nth time. The PRA is saying they're um, unhappy about firms not having a resilient process for producing resilient and repeatable process, ranging from the governance through to the execution, data quality, the usage spreadsheets, all these kind of things. It was reminded again at the, in January in the, in the, in the DSEOs that were issued then. My sense is that firms are in the process of identifying if they have exposures to the risks that are specifically called out there. It would be a pretty bad show to be, to be called up in an inspection or an audit that the risks were real and that the CEO, to be specific, the CEO didn't uh, do something about putting some mitigating action, actions in place. I think we're seeing, and Gerard, you may have more information about this actually from the, from a client perspective, firms taking a look at the extent to which their process automation could be improved, uh, better use of workflow, better use of exception handling. If there are exceptions that could be eliminated, you know, manual amendments that could be made business rules. If there's a spreadsheet lookup that should probably be put into a permanent, uh, uh, a permanent data table. We're seeing Agile solution more popular this year already, probably because of the move to cloud and uh, similar that I was talking about earlier on. In fact, there are more clients using this than I had realized, which is nice. And I'm do wondering if some of it is coming from DSCO, if that was already in traction. And I think it's probably worth saying, if I say call to action again on this, I'd like to propose that firms give you a call. I think it's you, isn't it, Jared, now, in your role looking into the client services area as to whether or not there are services that could be provided. Say something say about them. <laughs> you know, this is, you're right. So there's health checks and similar, that kind of work. Yeah, exactly. I mean, since the uh, the ACO letter went out in October last year, and especially the kind of the reemergence in January about their plan for the rest of the year, it's um, yeah, we're we're seeing a lot more action. I mean, not, not just around reg and other stuff. But I think the whole process, the whole process, end to end, right? Um, and we have loads of toolkits, so we're we're in kind of active discussions with with a lot of our clients. Is that like paying more attention to variances and similar as to it's, that's a part of the sign-off process? Yeah, the, the whole end-to-end. I think, yes, you know, you can look at the minute bits in more detail, uh, the kind of particular reporting side of it. But actually, let's talk about the whole holistic view um, of the whole process. And obviously, we see it from a client perspective, but actually as an industry as well. I mean, you and I talk to quite a lot of of, of, uh, of peers. Uh, we're seeing it from an, from an industry perspective as well. So... Yeah, everyone's everyone's on it at some point, at some kind of level. So there are there are active discussions going on. Well, I, ma- I imagine it's become a, a a key part of the typical consultative engagement that some of the advisory firms are having with with mm. banks as well, or their external auditors to say how do we how do we stack up against the CEO demands? Yeah, you know, lead, leading to housekeeping work for the likes of us, or to for them to go back to their own IT uh, teams and determine how to improve data quality. Yeah. So there you go. Those are those are six quick heads ups. Fantastic. Thank you for that, James. That's uh, some really interesting points that you've raised. So what else is there that we can all look forward to next? Okay, well, yes, really big thing I want to point out that we can all look forward to is the Vermeg Regulatory Reporting Conference. This is our annual event. It's on the 28th of September. It's in central London. It's effectively London's flagship reg reporting event focused on 
Prudential and Financial Reporting. It's live and we'd really love everybody to be there. So please watch out for the date. There's a save the date coming out soon. If not, you'll be able to register anyway and be there. It's going to be a really exciting event. We have likely coverage for all the things I mentioned today. Obviously, by the time they're in September, they'll be a little bit more updated. But with also additional inputs from the UK regulators on the Transforming Data Collection Initiative, that's in the round as well of regulatory reporting reinvention, an agenda point I wanted to draw out as firms now look to move towards digital and cloud processing for their compliance workflow, not just reg reporting. So there's a wide range of things there that can be done. We're also going to look at things that I didn't additionally mention here, the temporary permissions regime, for example, as EU firms move out from that into a new regime for their presence in the UK. Lots of audience participation as well around polls, of course. Perhaps some uh, uh, live action too with the solution that we'd like to have for firms to engage with. So do please be there. Uh, it's going to be a really exciting event and it's something not to be missed. James, thank you for that. I'm very much looking forward to that. That's, uh, we've got some real wealth of knowledge and wealth of expertise and there's some industry experts as well coming along. So uh, look out for the save the date. That's the uh, be pinging into your inboxes very shortly. Again, James, thank you so much for, for your time today. I know we covered a lot. And look forward to speaking to and hearing everyone next time. Thanks, Chad. It was great being able to update everyone.